Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 is, well, there is much good in, in Romans. There's much good in the Word of God. But Romans chapter 5 is, is pretty good. Uh, Therefore we have been justified through faith. Uh, since we have, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Having, having peace with God. What, a, what an amazing and, and wonderful thing it is to know that we can stand in, in the peace with our God, with, in peace with our Creator, and to know that, that He loves us and, and, and has kind of bought us out with the death of His Son. That, that we, get to be, uh, we get to be redeemed. That, that redemption, that, that salvation that we have, that justification uh, that we can have, seems even all the more important, I think, when we, when we look around the world. What a, what a world that we live in, hey? It's such a, such a contrast. And it seems like there's so, so many things that seem to be so far either to the left or to the right. There seems to be so much that is evil, so much that is hurtful and painful, and yet so much that is good and, and pure and that which uplifts and encourages. The, the reality is, is, as we look around our world and we, we perceive that, that it's not really different. It's not really new phenomenon for our generation. You go back as, as far as, as Adam and Eve, and you can see this contrast between that which is good, the call to be what God had asked them to do, and the, the temptation to, to fall away. You see the fallout of their, of their own choices, of their own sin. And, and so there's always been, there's always been that uh, since uh, sin was ushered into the world through, through one man. It says that the sin has always been there in the, in the world, and there's always then been the fallout of, of those things, the effect of of sin in the world. So we see that in Adam and Eve, and all of a sudden they're, they're ushered out of, out of the garden. We see that in the next generation with Cain and Abel, and, and, and how sin manifests again. We see that all the way building up into, into the time of, of Noah, when God looked at the world and, and was moved to despair in looking at the world, because it seemed that every human being, in all that they were, in their hearts, uh, were evil. And so there's that building up into the, even to the, into the days of Jesus and all through the, the people of Israel leading up into the time when Jesus came into the world. And it says that was just the right time, that Jesus came at just the right time to save those who were sinful. And then beyond. It hasn't changed from then to now. That we still live in a world that is God's world that He created, and so there is much hope and goodness and love and kindness and gentleness in the world, and yet we still see the ripple effects of the sins of mankind. And if we're being honest with ourselves, the reality is, is that there is nothing worse than sin. And we look at some of the atrocities that happen in our world, and we say, well, those are... Those are pretty bad. There, there's death and there's murder and there's all these other uh, terrible, terrible atrocities that happen in our world. And there's nothing worse uh, than sin. 
Because sin is what separates us uh, from our God. Sin is, by very definition, a missing of the mark. It is a missing of the will of God, of doing the will of God. It is a departure from God and what God wants us to be. So it is no surprise, then, that the world we live in suffers, then, from the, the effects of sin. And then, because of that, has both terrible evils and tremendous good in it. Because this is still God's world. And our acknowledgement of that, our, our understanding of that, doesn't mean that we have, to, we have to like it. We don't have to like it to know that it is true. Do we still know that God loves us? Do we still know that there is hope? Do we still know that there is salvation? Do we still understand that we cannot give up on the world? We cannot get into a, a state of mind as the body of believers, as the church, where we give up on the world around us, where we turn our backs on the world around us, Because this is what God has called us to be. He has called us to be a part of this eternal kingdom. He has called us to be a part of the body of His Son. We are the church. God has called us to be good in the world. God is the one who is good. And he has called us to be his instruments, his servants, to reflect this good in the world. Not, not because we ourselves uh, always attain uh, the level of goodness that God has. That's not what we're saying. But that we strive. We strive to respond out of our sins, out of our mistakes, and come into a place of peace with him where we can then go into the world and teach and share what the gospel actually is. That we can emulate Him as, as honestly, as best as we can. To strive to be what He's called us to be. Because we can walk in the Spirit. Because we never give up uh, doing good. Because we don't stop loving or, or forgiving. We never stop being kind or gentle or, or patient or obedient and we need to embrace that that's what God has called us to be. Which means we'll have to deal with our own failings. We'll have to deal with the failings of others. We'll have to deal with uh, our, our choices to, to repent, our choices to forgive. And we'll have to deal with all of that whilst while having a heart for God. Turn into, into 1 Peter. I want to read a, a passage from 1 Peter chapter 3. It says, finally, finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, 
so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who then is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Inherent in that, in that passage is the call for us to do good. And we see that. We, we be like-minded. We, we be sympathetic. We, we love. We are compassionate and humble. We, we choose not to, to be evil. You know, we, we choose to be good. We choose that which is good. Where, where does the definition of, of that come from? You know, as a, as a child, we, we had a definition given to us, right, as children? Our parents would, would send us off, or they would, they would talk to us, or they would admonish us, and they would say, okay, now go and be good. Be good. Don't, don't get in trouble. Just go. And some of us heard that probably more than others. Go and be good. Well, what's the definition of good there? Who defines what is good? Because if, if you have other friends that have different definitions of what is good, they'll say, come on, let's go and do this. And you're thinking in the back of your head, well, I can't go and do that because my parents would not approve of that, whatever that happens to be. So where does the definition of what was good then come for, for those children that you're friends with, that group that you're a part of? Is it, is it one definition or are there many definitions? What comes from the, the parents? It comes from the family system they're a part of. It comes from their willingness to respond to it. So there's, there's all these different definitions of good. Do we still live like that in the world? Do we still have all of these, these various definitions of what good actually is? The reality is, as we grow and understand, that there is not all of these different definitions in the world. There isn't all of these different choices to be made on what is good and what isn't good. The reality is, is as we choose to be good, we understand that that comes from the calling of our God, our Heavenly Father. That He has defined for us what good is. Now he's called us to choose that. And that falls on, on us then to choose what is good, but he has already defined for us what is good. So then in every action, in every word, in every deed, we are called to choose good. To be in line with Him who is good. And He has set uh, an example for us in this. That His Son came and lived in perfection for us. And we don't ever... We don't ever overlook uh, sin... But at the same time, we don't ever overlook what God has called us to be. God has called us out of sin, out of death, out of darkness. God has not called us out of our own perfection, our own righteousness, our own holiness. He's called us out of sin, out of darkness, out of death. 
And so he's called us to repent of these things. And to go out then and do that which is good. To have a heart for that. And we, we may fail at times. And that, that doesn't say that, that we think sin is good. That doesn't mean that, we, that we're embracing that, that sin is alright or it's downplaying the, the negative of that. Sin is, is terrible and devastating in our relationship with God and with others. But at the same time, we embrace what Christ has done for us. And we need to come to God and repent of those things. And choose what is good. Because the only other alternative to that, the only other alternative is to repentance or choosing what is good is, is responding in a world uh, that already has enough evil in it uh, and combating evil then with evil. And that this passage talks about it in First Peter. And it says this, tells us not to do that. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult in the calling of what we are to be like. And why not? Doesn't it seem like um, some people need it? Doesn't it some, seem like that some people actually are asking for it? Often we, we feel that way. We often feel like, oh, that person just is cruising. Uh, they're just asking for it. Now, now, how do we see that? Why do we say that? Why, why do we think that? Is it, is it because we're being what he's called sympathetic, uh, like-minded, uh, loving, compassionate, and humble? Uh, more, more often than not, we, we uh, look at that because in some way, um, in some way we've, been, we've been downtrodden, in some way we've been stepped on, in some way uh, we're suffering. And, and, and many of the times that's legitimate. It's legitimate that, that those things are happening. Sometimes it's not, but mo- lots of times it is. So why then do we not, why didn't we not act the same way that we've been treated? I mean, they've, they've already treated us that way, or they've already done uh, this thing that, that has, has hurt us. Why, why can't we then respond in that same manner? It seems like the, you know, to equal out the balance of things, it seems like the way to go. And if we're, again, being honest with ourselves, often it feels like the most natural response. Someone insults you, as it says here, someone insults you. What's the next words that come to mind or are on the, the tip of your tongue? All right. You can be honest. You don't have to share, but you can think about it. How often do our, does our patience betray us? And the next words that are on our tongue are, are another insult in response. And, and then we maybe engage our brains a little bit and, and we recognize the need for compassion and love and, and we hold those words in. Because we've been called not to respond, and there's a reason why we've been called not to respond evil with evil, insult with insult, hurt with hurt. All of these things 
Because evil does not combat evil. And insult does not combat insult. And the, the actual desire for us, even when we're hurting, even when things have, have, have caused suffering in our life, the, the desire always should be for us to be right with God and those around us to be right with God. A desire for all to come to this point of peace with God. And so if there is evil, if we combat it with evil, well then who's right with God? Who's at peace with God? If we combat hurt with hurt or insult with insult, are we both joining together and coming closer to God? Or are we then saying, well, you're not right, but I'm going to combat that with me not being right, and then we can both just stew in it. And eventually we'll, we'll come to the conclusion that it doesn't matter. Or we'll, we'll just give each other the stink eye every time we see each other. Well, again, evil, evil with evil it does, does not combat each other. What combats evil is love. Kindness, gentleness, compassion, humility, being sympathetic, being like-minded. And if someone insults us or hurts us or does evil, then in order for us to actually accomplish the goal that we should desire, and that's for us to be right with God and for them to be right with God, then we must respond again by being what is good in the world. I respond by emulating God. I, I find it interesting in, in this passage, and if you're there, go back to it. If you're not there, go into it for the first time. 1 Peter chapter 3, um, verse 8, it says, Finally, and then he says, all of you. All of you be like-minded. All of you be sympathetic. All of you love one another. All of you be compassionate and humble. All of you refuse to repay evil with evil or insult with insult. All of you... Repay evil with blessing. All of you do this because you were called so that you may inherit a blessing of, of this life with God. Why, why is it necessary to throw those three words in there? Why, why is it necessary to not just, couldn't he have just said, finally, be like-minded, be sympathetic? Isn't it kind of inherent in the teaching of God's word that it includes all of us? I mean, shouldn't it go without saying? So why does it actually go and say it then? Okay, so I, I heard someone say that it's a personal connection. It, it draws us into the understanding of, of this, and, and I agree. That all of us are to have this. Because we're to be united. And we are so vastly different. We are all so vastly different. There is not a two of us that are, are the same. There's not a two of us that are even uh, close to being identical. And there's many family members here that would say, okay, well, that's my, my sister or my brother, and we're, you know, we're, we're very similar. We're raised in the same house. Not even close. You have different thoughts on many things you probably disagree on on many things you probably have had arguments and fights and all these other things that you just maybe never see eye to eye on so when you have a, a and i've had more than my fair share of disagreements mostly with my my brother i can remember more disagreements with him uh, my sisters were a, a little bit older and and were out of the house as i was kind of going through my 
my formative years, but my brother was there, and we were, we were good friends, and we, we hung out, and we played together. We were, we were inseparable growing up, um, but he was also a, a pain because he would, and I've told you guys this before, he would purposely choose whatever the opposite direction of my line of thinking was. And because he was the, because he was the baby, he got his way more often than not. Uh, so an example of this twofold is one, I cheer for the Edmonton Oilers. Their absolute rival is the Calgary Flames. And my brother, in his infinite wisdom, decided that he was gonna choose for the Flames. Why? Only one reason, because they were the rival of the Oilers. Sadly for him that they've sucked for so many years. Um, but the other example is, uh, as, I was, as I was growing up, I don't know why, but I always wanted it to be absolutely dark in the room. You know, you, you leave a light on and it's, just, it's hard to sleep. So all of the, you that sleep with a light on, that's all right. You can choose to do what you want in your own household. Um, so we shared a room my brother and I. And one day, I told him that I enjoyed it being dark in the room, well, which is my own fault, I guess, my own mistake. What do you think happened within the next days? All of a sudden, he could not sleep unless there was a light on. And being the baby, he would go to our parents and say, I can't sleep unless there's a light on. And so they would leave a light on. And I would have to deal with it. Do, we disagreed on many things. I've, uh, I've told you the story. And he's coming around a little bit on this story. But I've told you the story of him breaking his arm. And we were, we were racing bikes. And we got done. And he was just stationary. Fell. Landed on a rock and with full body weight and broke his arm right at the elbow. In his version of the story, he's just going as fast as he can. Like, I'm sure that in his version of the story, he's saving babies and doing all these other things that are heroic and crashed into a wall, you know, and broke his arm. He's coming around a little bit on that because he's starting to admit that I'm right and he's wrong. But we disagree on that. We disagree on, on the events of that story. We disagree on who the best hockey team is. We, we disagree on, on the best way to sleep. We disagree on a lot. We, we disagree on, on some things that we would say are our core, core parts of life. And you wonder, how, how can you then think of that person as one of your best friends? How can you think of that person as someone who you would turn to for, for you know, communication or for comfort or to, to be encouraged? How could you even possibly... Think of that person as someone who's connected in your life at all. When you disagree on so many things. And when you think about it, it's strange. Because we don't agree on almost anything. And most of the time when we visit, we discuss various topics. I don't want to... I use air quotes here. I always love when I get to use air quotes. Uh... I don't like to use the word argue because we're not really arguing, but we discuss from different viewpoints so many things. Now, don't get me wrong, there's plenty that we agree on. So all of that to, to, to say, why does it say all of you here? When we disagreed as kids, and 
our mother would say, okay, behave. She would almost always throw in both of you in there somewhere. Why? Because I wasn't misbehaving, it was him. And he's thinking the same thing looking at me. I'm not doing anything wrong, it's him. And she would say to us, okay, both of you, listen. So when we have a, a time when we're talking about wife here, when we have a time like this, who's, who's right? Who's wrong? Sometimes you're right, I'm wrong. Sometimes I'm right, you're wrong. Sometimes we both might be wrong. Sometimes we both might be right. And it says to do what? All of you, then, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. But what if I'm right and you're wrong? What if you're right and I'm wrong? Does it matter? Like a, like a good parent, he's saying, all of you, all of you have to find a way to be like-minded, sympathetic, to love one another, be compassionate and humble. Even when we disagree with someone, whether that's in the church, whether that's in the world, we still have to be these things. Because God has called us to be this so that we can combat evil, not with evil, but with good. That we can combat insult with good. So then it goes into, uh, into verse 13. It says, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? I like the word eager there. If you, if you are eager to do good, if you have this yearning to do good, if you truly are eager to do what is right, who is going to harm you? Well, where does this thought come from, this idea of harm or suffering for doing good? Go ahead and read the, the passage there, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 through 22. And it begins to talk about this idea of threats. You know, it talks about the idea of being frightened. It talks about the idea of, of suffering and suffering in life. Why is it that we suffer in life? Why is it that there's hurt? Why is it that there's pain? Why is it that there's heartache in life? Now, we've, we've basically come to the, the point where we just say, well, that's life, right? That's the way it is. But why? Why is it that way? God didn't create the world that way, did He? You look at the very beginning, He looks at the world and it is good. It's very good. Because He created imperfection. So why is there then suffering in the world? Why is it that Adam had to go and toil and work? Why is it that there was, there was pain and suffering in childbirth? Why, why is it that all of these things take place in the world now? Why is there suffering in life? There's only one answer there. It's because of the sins of mankind. And, and now we, we get to the point now where it's so commonplace, where it's so many ripple effects of the sins of, of the past, the sins of ourselves, the sins of others, that, that we just kind of take it in stride and say, well, that's just the way life is. And, and, and so these things happen. We, we live in a world where he who was perfect... He who was perfect came into the world and still had to suffer. Christ was, Christ was perfect and still had to suffer. Why? He was, he was without sin. He suffered. He, 
And, and so often we look at the cross, and the cross is that kind of pivotal moment when he takes on the sins of mankind. But Christ would have had to suffer all through life. There would have been turmoil all through his life. There would have been heartache and pain all through his life because he was compassionate and loving and kind, and he cared about, about people. So there's moments when we see that he's, he's disturbed. We see that there's moments where he goes in the temple and he's obviously disturbed and he clears out the temple. We see there's times when he weeps. He's, you see there's times when he's, when he's moved. And so the, there would have been all of this because he would have seen all of the effects of sin and there would have been effects around him and affecting people that he cared about, people close to him. Even in his own life, having to deal with the fallout of, of the sins of, of others. And so he takes that on himself. He takes that on himself. He lived in this world so that he could know what it was like, that he could sympathize with us and bring about for us salvation. Out of this suffering, out of this this pain, the call then for us is exactly the same. That we are living for God. First Peter uh, chapter 4, if you'd like to turn there. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for human or evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised as you do not join them in their recklessness, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. We're called to then be living for God, even in this suffering, even in the life that we live in that is full of pain and heartbreak and disappointment, because we are called to have the same attitude as Christ. Arm yourself also with the same attitude. Christ suffered in this world. He continued to do the will of God, even in a sinful world. Even when people were sinful around him, even when all of his disciples chose to leave and desert him, he continued to love God and do the will of God. And we were to arm ourselves with that same attitude. To do the will of God. What a, what a tremendous blessing. I, I don't know how many times you've, you've heard that saying or heard that said. That we need to do the will of God. That we need, to, we need to do the will of God. We need to do what is pleasing to God. We need to, we need to choose the word of God. Probably countless times. Probably countless times you've heard that. The blessing of that is and should be profound. And foundational in what we do and who we are. That we continue to long to open up God's word and do just that. Very quickly, I want to, to jump into 1 Peter 4 again. And just, I know it says 12 through 19 there, but I want to just read the first a little bit. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate 
in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Do not be surprised when there is suffering. Do not be surprised when there is fiery ordeals. Do not be surprised when we are being tested. Do not be surprised when there are trials. Because it is the world we live in because of the choices of mankind, because of sin. But we can choose to come out of that. We can choose to live in that and be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. We can be living in that because we can rejoice in the life that we have been given. To live for Him. I want to I close by reading in 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to read the, read the first ten verses if you'd like to follow along. It says, To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherd of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen.